Welcome to Revisiting the Vault, a podcast where we're exploring the history of film, animation, fashion, music, and pretty much everything, but through a Disney lens. And now let's continue our discussion of Pinocchio from 1940. Can we talk about Jiminy Cricket? Yeah. Because we've established I have an irrational love for this cricket. But As as a cricket, <laughs> I actually did a little bit of a deep dive looking up cricket life stages to figure out what the hell is going on with cricket. And I think, you, I think they said it best and you quoted it really well when they said, like, he's a cricket because we told you he is. He doesn't have enough legs, for starters. Right. No, nowhere near. He doesn't have wings. But I looked that up and there are crickets with no wings. Oh, my brain turns the tails of his tailcoat into his wings. Sure. Like a representation. He takes the tailcoat off and there's nothing under there. I think you're right. I think the tailcoat does kind of represent where the wings would be. And he would have so many complaints against him in a modern workplace because he is (laughs) real handsy with all of the woodworks and the puppets. Why does the cricket have a healthy libido? Right. And for humanoid pieces of wood characters. The scene where he accidentally leans on the bustle of the one. Yes. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of funny or whatever. He ogles the can-can dancers, yes. which are singing, I would cut my strings for you for a seven-year-old. Okay. This is a movie with no women, except for a flirty goldfish. And then Jiminy's just like, oh my gosh, look at these can-can dancers. I don't think that kids, if you didn't have that tell from Jiminy that, oh, this is racy, mm-hmm. would think it was at all. And again, this is a little bit of a modern context thing, but like all you're seeing on a can-can dancer is a little bit of leg. Right. Which to them is nothing. That whole thing of Jiminy doing like the wolf whistle kind of idea. Yes. I don't think he goes full on with it, but that is the thing telling kids, oh, oh, oh. oh this is a little bit. There's a thrill here. Up. Yeah. Which I will say, thank goodness, Pleasure Island, Pleasure Island has no girls, nothing girl like, nothing girlish. It would be terrible. Oh my God. I mean, they it wouldn't, would be so bad. It would be, no. It would be the worst. Some of the stuff in it is bad enough. Right. Because I don't know how do you explain Stromboli to a kid. Right. In an appropriate way. Because, like, you can look at kids. Yeah, other than Geppetto, everybody who smokes is a bad person. When the kids on the island smoke and drink, they become donkeys. Right. They become jackasses because smoking and drinking is bad. Yep. As much as I'm like, you're still have a place called Tobacco Row or Tobacco Alley where they are throwing cigars at children from Native American statues. Yes! It's so bad. Anyway. Yes. And I I want to talk Pleasure Mm. Island, but I would like to talk a little bit more about Jiminy Cricket for a second. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I like him too. And he has become, he is a reliable narrator. Sarcastic, but reliable. Yeah. And he adds like a little color commentary. I think he's good. Mm -hmm. He's a little bit petty in this movie. He gives up in two seconds, multiple times. Yeah. And he's like, well, fine. I think the joke of, you know, what does an actor want with a conscience anyway? Excellent. (laughs) Good stuff. But Made me laugh. Absolutely. And he's also kind of laissez-faire about his job. Like there are times where he's like, yep, we're doing this. I'm going to be a conscience. I'm going to be good. And then like they're all on the coach. They're going to Pleasure Island and... Jiminy Cricket's down below. He's like swinging from the running boards. And he's just like, here we go again. Yeah. What? Oh, I guess I couldn't have done anything to prevent this. Like, no, you could have tried. When he's hopping towards Stromboli's caravan and he's just like, well, you know, what does an actor need with a conscience anyway? But I guess I could say I knew him when. I'll just go say goodbye so that he remembers me. Jiminy, you're the one who gave, like, 
So when he first starts, pops out and starts talking about being a conscience, mm-hmm. and I should have looked up the exact quote where he's just like, it's the still small voice that nobody listens to anyway. Yes. And he gives this speech about basically that's the problem with the world today. And I immediately, my response was, okay, boomer. Right. But at the same time, it was because they are still giving that speech. Like everyone is still giving that speech all the time. But he gives this speech. Temptation is when the wrong thing comes at what feels like the right time. And he gives a good speech. Yes. And then he doesn't do any of that. His character does not actually follow all of that stuff you just said, which I guess is emblematic of the type of people who make those speeches. Right. And okay. So the coachman. Oh, the coachman. I was reading about how Stromboli was part of the Disney villains line for a long time. And Stromboli gets put in like all these lists of best villains. And I'm like, why are you looking at Stromboli? who is super racist, Mm -hmm. when the coachman is right the heck there and is completely terrifying. Right from the word go. I mean, like, he is too much for even Honest John. Yeah. So he tells Honest John, he's like, I got a plan. And he whispers it to Honest John, Gideon, the cat that doesn't, like you put in your notes, you called him crime dopey. And it's it's what it is. (laughs) He doesn't, he's just this, like, silent foil going back to the voice acting for a minute apparently mel blanc recorded lines for gideon Mm -hmm. and then they didn't use them and i feel robbed because that was probably really good and really hilarious but apparently they were basing him on harpo marx which going back to our complaints about dopey maybe dopey was also being was a harpo marx-ish kind of thing so who knows maybe it's a reference we just didn't get but yeah crime dopey like he whispers it honest john and honest john is clearly appalled Mm-hmm. But not so appalled that he won't just sell Pinocchio out right away. He's so comically bad, but dark. Like, it's so... Don't like The it. coachman, what gets me about him, the way that he's drawn, in a lot of ways, is the friendly old white guy. Right. He's got, like, a little bit of the turned-up hair on the sides. Mm-hmm. He's got the white hair. He comes across, like... He's got that grin that's super terrifying, mm-hmm. but he doesn't show it directly to the boys at first. To me, that's why he's the scariest yes. of the three villains. Or I guess if you count Honest John as a villain, he's like on a line. But I consider the movie to have three villains. It's Trumpoli, the Coachman, and Monstro. Yeah. But of the three villains, I find him the scariest because he's the one that would pass for normal when he wants to be normal. Absolutely. That's why he's scary. Because, and again, like you know from the jump that he's a bad guy, He's this isn't a heel turn like they were trying to say Stromboli had either. But... He is somebody that will sweet talk people. And you can see that happening. And if Geppetto ran into him on the street, Geppetto would not think, this guy has my little boy on the coach and is about to go turn him into a donkey. He probably gets away with everything he does because he can seem completely normal. And so to me, like, that's always the scariest Yeah, he's kind of masquerading as acceptable. And it's it's really kind of insidious, like, just the... mm. Yeah. Yeah. He's a rich robber baron kind of guy, exactly. and, and people trust them for no reason because they're never up to any good. Not that his economic plan makes any sense no. at all. Yeah, let's talk about Pleasure <laughs> Island. I wrote my, my first notes about Pleasure <sighs> Island where Pleasure Island is a circus nightmare mm-hmm. because it looks scary. And honestly, I can't see I can't see being a child and going to a place like that and being like, this looks great. I remember being a kid and thinking that Pleasure Island was scary from the beginning. Yeah. When I'm watching it, I'm noticing like they have that Ferris wheel in the background and they're just doing repeating animation on it, which is fine because it's a background shot. But there's a kid falling off of the Ferris wheel <laughs> and then getting caught and pulled into another yeah. car over and over and over it's again terrifying. in the background. And, I mean, you have to think as an adult, you know that that's intentional because even a kid looking at that, they're like, mm, that place is bad. Something bad's going to happen. They drew it that way 
intentionally. Yeah, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Lampwick. Again, a stereotype. Yes. Probably a racist one, actually. I think because he looks kind of Irish. But first of all, how old is he? Why is he suddenly buddy-buddy with Pinocchio, who is clearly half his age? You know? I didn't understand why he's taking Pinocchio under his wing so readily. Other than intending to be... Because, you know, sometimes bullies will find somebody to keep around. but, But he doesn't seem to be doing that. Right. Is he the coachman's accomplice? No. He's not, but he kind of is because he's like, don't you want to do this? Like, come on, don't you? Like, let's go poke someone in the nose. Like, let's go start a fight. Why? Ah, because it's fun. Yeah, and he also already looks and sounds a bit like a donkey. He's got, like, the buck teeth. Mm -hmm. He's got some mannerisms, and he's got some, like, vocalizations that sound distinctly donkey-like. And if you, from the use of the word jackass that comes out so many times, if you don't know by now that they're going to turn into donkeys, one of the things that I heard in another podcast, if you think about it, Donkeys are pulling the coachman's coach mm-hmm. to Pleasure mm-hmm. Island. And you know those used to be little boys. These are children that are getting whipped and they've been turned into donkeys and they used to be little boys and they cannot say a thing to warn these other children. There is actually apparently a scene in the books where they try to and the coachman like bites their ear off. Yeah. What? It gets wild. Yes. What but yeah, where like one of the donkeys tries to keep Pinocchio from being able to go. It is really dark. And the donkeys, they look so sad and they can't speak. Ugh. And it is just so dark. And if they can talk, they just throw them over in a corner. Yes. And they start yelling for their mother. And when Lampwick Ugh. transforms, the last thing he says is, Mama. This is a very intentional, yes. obvious emotional manipulation of the audience. But at the same time, no matter how bad these kids are and no matter how terrible they've gotten, when they're sick or scared, they still call out for their mothers. It breaks your heart. They're shipping these donkeys off to the salt mines. And the circus. They've got crates that are like sold to the salt mines, sold to the circus. Good God. It is. Yeah. Economically, I don't know why this makes sense because Pleasure Island must cost a lot of money. It must a lot of money. To maintain (laughs) that model house that they get to destroy, which, by the way, I would 100% be in on. You can put that in a theme park. I'll go. But also, like, then they have to rebuild it for the next next batch of kids. Exactly. What is happening? Then they have to rebuild the model house. They have to buy all these cigars. Buy the beer. Just the transport costs. I'm sure these kids are eating, like, an enormous amount of food at some place in this park. A place that's like funnel cakes for days or whatever. Right. So you just have to be like, oh, it's a mora- it's a morality tale or whatever. Right. But if it's a morality tale, he leaves Lampwick behind. Oh, he does. And they never speak of him again. But then they're just like, we've got to get out of here. Yeah. And Lampwick is like reaching for him with his hands that turn into hooves. Again, as a child. Scary. Very terrifying. Scary as shit. Absolutely left a mark on me. Yes. But then they're just like, no, don't touch me. Donkey person is grotesque. And they run away and jump in the ocean. Yes. Because it's the only thing they can think of to get away. Because, I mean, sure, that makes total sense. Like, why not? So they run away and jump in the ocean. And they leave all of these little boys. They leave his friend, who he has said is his best friend. This is Lampy. Don't talk about Lampy like that. He's my best friend. It's like, what? You've known him 10 minutes. Maybe. Well, actually, this is one of my questions later, is how long were they on Pleasure Island? Because Geppetto's workshop is covered in cobwebs and everything. And he's had time to, like, get a boat and end up on the whale. In the whale. So I don't know how long this took before this happened, but it is not a lot of time. Right. What has this kid done to become your best friend? I guess it's a lesson in who to trust. Yes. Friends can be a bad influence or whatever, but it's still just like leaving him behind is a weird, it's a weird story point. 
for a story that's supposed to be about learning to be selfless. But at the same time, I do think that if they added that back in, that would like people would be like, what's that weird scene where they go and get that donkey? Yeah, I don't know where they could have. He couldn't have liberated all of the donkeys and like rode them to freedom. Exactly. I don't think that that would have worked. I don't know what they could have done. Right, it's a necessary choice, but a weird one all the same is how I take it. Yeah. Okay, so we've gotten to Monstro. Well, let's go. So they jump into the ocean, they escape, and then like conveniently a little note floats down from the blue fairy that's like, oh, <laughs> he got swallowed by a whale. That was my favorite part. Narratively, they had painted themselves into a corner. I admit that I don't know what else they could have done. But they're just like, where's Geppetto? And then like a magic blue dove mm-hmm. floats down with a letter from the blue fairy that luckily Jiminy knows how to read because Pinocchio can't read because he never went to school. Oh, your father's actually inside this whale. Blue Fairy knows this, can't do anything about it. Nope. There's fairy rules. She's not going to intervene. And then I love that Jiminy is like, Monstro, I've heard of him. How? Maybe in his travels from England? I don't know. Does Jiminy like sit on coaches and like listen in on conversations? Is this in the animal scuttlebutt of seagulls being like, don't go towards the ocean. Monstro will eat right. you. It's bizarre. So yeah, how does Jiminy know about Monstro? But he does, luckily. And so they just go plop down into the ocean. Which I am fine with Pinocchio being able to breathe underwater. He doesn't have lungs. He's made of wood. Right. That's fine. What is with this cricket? Also, and I do have a slight problem with that, but we'll get to it. I mean, if he can breathe underwater, how did he drown? Yes, there, there are many things. Okay, so Geppetto took his cat and his pet goldfish in a bowl in the ocean. They got swallowed by Monstro. There's light inside the whale because they're burning a lantern. But generally speaking, there's a lack of oxygen, of free oxygen, inside of anything living. Right. So wouldn't that be a problem for, like, respiration and lanterns? I want to be able... To just sit back and be like, it's a fable. It's a story. There's a fairy. There's a wooden puppet that can talk, whatever. But I'm still just like, this whale makes no sense. Excellent villain. Excellent villain. Very well animated. I went down a weird rabbit hole of like, how do whales sleep? It's not at the bottom. They float at the top. Some mammals in the ocean, dolphins specifically, they do this thing called hemispheric sleep where like half their brain sleeps at a time. Apparently sperm whales don't. Nope. They actually, their whole brain sleeps at once and they just float. So that they can with breathe. With like a blowhole above yep. so that they can breathe. Do they eat tuna? Nope. Because I was confusing him with a blue whale, which blue whales only eat like plankton. Yeah, blue whales are filter feeders. They right. have the baleen, which filters out and they, they eat like krill and plankton. Yes. That's where the confusion comes in though, because Monstro is clearly like the love child of a sperm whale and a blue whale because he's got the blue whale underbelly with the stripy look to it. And then the sperm whale spermaceti cavern on top of his head. I'm like making motions with my hand as though people are going to see what I'm pointing at. But, and he's got teeth though. I mean, he's clearly mostly sperm whale with some blue whale features. He's definitely going towards the Moby Dick Mm -hmm. depiction of sperm whales because of the teeth and everything. Apparently, sperm whales mostly eat giant squid. I did the same research. Yeah, like, I was, like, looking this stuff up because I was like, do they eat tuna? Because, again, the way they show him feeding is the way that blue whales feed. You know, I'm going to swallow as much as possible, and hopefully a lot of it is food. And it was just like, is this how this works? Do whales sneeze was another of my questions. I did not find an answer. I'm pretty sure they don't. Can whales really corner like that? Because they show this whale, like, full speed, just spin on a dime to come back at them. Pretty sure that they can't do no, that. No, I mean, I think, a, I think a slightly smaller whale like an orca can. More so than a sperm whale. 
Let's let's be clear. The bigger you are, the less agile when you're talking fish. Because part of me is like, why are you getting into this? Right. Why do you care? Yes. Because Monster is an excellent villain. That yes. shot, as much as whales don't sleep on the bottom of the ocean that way, that shot. And his eye opens. His eye yes. opening. That made an impact as a kid. There is no reason why a whale that just swallowed an entire school of tuna, very large tuna, should care that a wooden boat with one man and a goldfish and a cat just escaped his mouth. Right. No. Let's. So he, he wakes up and he chases those fish. And Pinocchio, who has been seeking him out this whole time, is running away. No, you dum-dum. Dive in. Dive in. Go for it. Other than trying to have, like, tension for a chase scene, I had no idea why Pinocchio was like, oh, we got to not get swallowed. I'm like, yeah, you do. Actually, that's, like, your whole it's point. It's the one way you're going to get there. Or were you planning to, like, kill Monstro reason and with then, him? like, cut him open? What do you think is going to happen right. here? No, you, you need to get inside. I, I've got a real... We talked about this a little bit earlier. If Geppetto is taking up all the fish that Monstro eats, wouldn't mm-hmm. Monstro starve? And... How has he not digested Geppetto and his crew and the boat yet? And wouldn't the boat cause a foreign body obstruction? This is how you know I'm a vet tech, because I look at that and I'm like, bad idea, don't swallow that boat. There's no way that that boat is not causing him intense amount of That problems. is going to be an obstruction. It is it is bad. And so, yes, it would. Like, it, it needs to be broken down. Yeah, he should have chewed. If you had a whole boat inside of you that was stealing all of your food, like the most efficient parasite in the history of parasites, wouldn't you <laughs> right. be grumpy? You would, you would yeah. be pissed off too. The minute you wake up, you'd be like, God damn it, I gotta eat more. And also an ideal parasite would know better than to take up all the fish because you don't want to kill your host because then you're dead too. That's my rant. Right. You know, I get it that I'm looking at this from a vet tech's perspective, but there are so many things wrong with this whole concept. It's just <laughs> I know so implausible. <laughs> also, just to back up, just a titch. Why was Geppetto looking for Pinocchio at sea? A summary I was reading, they were like, oh, the Blue Fairy tells Pinocchio that Geppetto found out he was on Pleasure Island and went to get him. That is not in the movie. No. Maybe it's in the book, but it is not in the movie. But furthermore, they don't take a ferry to Pleasure Island. They take a coach. There's got to be a bridge. But they've also got this whole thing where, like, Honest John says something about the police. Yeah. And Pleasure Island being closed. So I'm like, okay, well, if you find out he's on Pleasure Island, like, go to the cops? Maybe. Yeah, but Lampwick is like, oh, there's no cops here. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing, there's a freshwater fish in a bowl in the ocean. <laughs> I had so many problems with everything that happened with Cleo from the point that they leave and take her on that boat. Like, everything. Geppetto is this, like, doting... Grandpa. Naive grandpa. No. On the one hand, like, as much as it drives me crazy, I also kind of love him for it in some ways. I mean, it works. Whatever. The scene where he's out looking for Pinocchio in the rain, he's getting soaked. Oh, God, yes. The caravan goes past him, and the thunder covers up his yelling. Yes. I died. It is terrible. It's so sad. The whole thing. All of that was awful. I felt so bad for everything Geppetto goes through. Like, after Pinocchio becomes a talking puppet. Poor Geppetto. At that point, for everything. But he also still is a bad pet owner who makes bad pet choices. Yeah, terrible pet choices. Terrible ch- pet choices. Cleo disappears after they get sneezed out of Monstro. Mm-hmm. Disappears completely yeah. until she washes up on the beach. Literally, that happens because kids would cry if she didn't come right. back. What happened to Cleo? It would make way more sense for her to have been left with a neighbor or something. Anything. I'll give you the stuff with Figaro inside the whale. Just because the whale doesn't make any sense either. Right. You know, if Geppetto's surviving, Figaro's probably doing okay. And cats hate swimming, Mm -hmm. and they hate water, Mm -hmm. but they can. Mm -hmm. 
But Cleo and Cleo washing up still in her bowl. It's convenient. It's just, this is pushing me a little bit. Yeah. They finally get rid of Monstro. Also, how is Pinocchio swimming faster than Monstro? Sure. It's fine. But like you said, how does Pinocchio drown? Yeah, how did he drown? Does he even breathe? Because he doesn't have a heart. I mean, my only thought is that he actually just got exhausted. But again, he was able to breathe underwater and have conversations. Yeah, I mean, he can breathe underwater. He doesn't have a heart. He doesn't have lungs. He clearly doesn't have a brain. Maybe he was technically just passed out, but you couldn't tell because he's a puppet. So he doesn't have any life signs anyway. True. Yeah. I mean, what are they What are they listening for if they're listening for a pulse? Nothing. You can't just see if his chest is rising because doesn't expand. it doesn't. So yep, it's a problem. The whole thing's a problem. That part's strange. I think that they just realized they were at the end of their running time and Pinocchio needed to be dead. Mm-hmm. There was another deleted scene that was an alternate way that that scene could go. And it was Pinocchio coming back to life on the beach. Mm. He's in the puddle. He's drowned. And then the blue fairy's light saves him. And makes him a real boy and brings him back while they're still on the beach. I could have actually taken that. Yeah, there's like the way that they did it. There's other parts of the scene that don't work as well. I can see why if they were sort of doing both at the same time, which is what the narrator implies, that they were like animating both to see which one they liked mm-hmm. better. I can see why they went the way they did because of other things in it that I can't even remember right now that I was like, eh, that's a little... Like it became repetitive right. the way that they did it. Also, just the visual... Of this little boy face down in oh, this puddle. Oh, God, it's awful. Dead? He is dead. They just killed a child. Yes. In a way that is traumatic looking. Yes. And it's supposed to be traumatic. You're supposed to cry. It's supposed to be upsetting. They're not trying to gloss over it at all. As a parent, the idea of any child, specifically mine, mm-hmm. drowning is like a huge nightmare. It is horrible. Right. Just to think. Oh, my God. And, like, to have kids see that? The whole thing that I know from my friends who have had kids when they're little, and they're like, kids can drown in two inches of water. All of these parents know these things. It's awful. Like, off the top of their head. Because they are paranoid about just bath time. Yes. Kids probably have picked up on a little bit of that paranoia and terror, I bet. But all of the parents in the Mm -hmm. audience to see that, oh. Well, and... (laughs) I wonder if it was not in the too far distant past when, you know, in the 40s, when infant mortality and childhood death were still a much bigger part of life than they are now. And so people are like, well, kids die. They don't all make it. That's why you have 13 of them. I mean, in the 40s, they weren't still having 13 Mm -hmm. children. But it is entirely possible that it was less jarring then because they were a little more desensitized to it. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I could know. be totally I wrong. But it's, I regardless, as an adult mother of a modern baby, watching that, I'm like, nope, can't. I asked my daughter if she wanted to watch it with me. I told her about this project that we're doing. And I was like, yeah, we have to watch these movies. And I was like, God, I have to watch Pinocchio and blah, blah, blah. And I told her, you know, some stuff. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not watching that with you. <laughs> nope. That's one of my questions. Is it like, you know, we talked about this, the scary stuff in Snow White being an appropriate kid scary. Mm-hmm. Because kids like being scared, but at a particular level. When it's a thrill. Yep. Because they're looking for safe ways to experience fear so that they can sort of learn and all of that stuff. So then the question is, is Pinocchio too far? And I think it probably is for kids. Yeah. Well, modern kids, at least. Yeah. We talked about having Pinocchio when we were kids because it apparently came out on VHS in 1985. So it would have been when we were both really young. Which explains how we got it. Both of us were watching this as kids and... There are scenes in that movie that, when I saw them, were a visceral 
reaction. 100%. I remember being like, okay, I got this movie. I should like it. And I remember wanting to like it and not really liking Mm -hmm. it. It was just one of those things that I was just like, yeah, my Grammy bought me this, this movie. And like, she bought my sister Dumbo. Not any better. Not any better. Yeah. Still both terrifying. So Dumbo has a lot of the same problems. Yeah. A lot of the same problems, oh. actually. Oh, gosh. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to Dumbo in good time. But yeah. I do think that this one actually goes too far on some of the scares, possibly because they are so much more realistic. Yep. Because the, like the leaps that they made in animation and all that stuff made it a little too close to home. The situations that they were presenting... From a modern context, they're way worse and they're way more traumatic to think about like this old white guy who is convincing little boys to come with him to have a good time on Pleasure Island. From a modern lens, that is really messed up. From a 1940s lens, it's still messed up. Honestly, it's scarier than a poison apple because what's the likelihood of being given a poison apple? But what is the likelihood of being kidnapped? I mean, it's still reasonably low, but it's terrible. As much as like, you know, in the 80s when we were young, they veered way too far into the stranger danger thing because most abductions are done by family members, etc. And all of that being true. At the same time, first of all, at that point when Pinocchio's kidnapped the second time, Honest John, he thinks is a friend. Yeah. So this is someone who has presented himself as someone who cares about Pinocchio and who is taking care of him. This is the second time he's met him. He doesn't, for some reason, connect the dots that he is to blame for his first kidnapping. And that's a thing. There's a terminology shift that has been happening in, when they talk specifically about child abuse and that kind of thing. And this is actually a good place to insert it. There's a lot of experts who no longer like to say grooming when they talk about mm-hmm. what an abuser does to their victim. And it's because grooming is a pro-social activity and what they are doing is right. antisocial. And so they talk about manipulation and, and that's what they say. They no longer say, oh, he was grooming his victim. They say he was manipulating his victim or she. But in this case, it was Honest John. He manipulated Pinocchio to think that they were friends. Right. And so that's why he just kind of implicitly trusts him the second time around. Because he's like, oh, like, it doesn't even occur to him. Like, he sold me to Stromboli. And he's going to sell me to the coachman who doesn't even have a name. He's just the coachman. And if you look at, like, his entire ride to Pleasure Island, he's trying to be like, Honest John was so nice, he gave me his ticket. Yes. And I think that that's why these things hit pretty hard. It is dark. Because it is dark. It's so dark. Yeah, it's about a talking puppet. Like, okay. Right. But it's also believable in some respects. It's only one step removed from things that were happening and are still happening. Yes, it is terrible. If we want to go too far with it, you know, this is a little bit of, like, stretching a metaphor. The way that Stromboli plans to exploit Pinocchio is being done to child actors right this second. Yep. He's like, I'm going to make so much money off of you. A hundred percent. Yes. Just look at all the stories about Britney Spears. That is all of the adults in the room being like, this kid is so talented. This kid is going to make me a million bucks. I do not care about this child. I will lock them in a a cage, literal or metaphorical, while I count my money. And we still do it. We absolutely do. This stuff with Pleasure Island, they still manipulate kids by saying like, oh, you know, well, if you hang out with me, you can have all of these things that your parents tell you are bad. Right. They're not that bad. I'll give it to you because it's not that bad. Right. And you've got me to look out for you. Let me look out for you. Right. We'll take care of you. You'll have fun. That's still happening. People aren't getting swallowed by whales. Thankfully. All right. Thankfully. (laughs) Thank goodness we figured that out about whales. So. Yeah. You know. 
I don't remember, other than Monstro being a terrifying sea creature, mm-hmm. which he is, right. which probably dug into my psyche quite a bit because of me already having a fear of the ocean. Right. That was why that is the thing that I remember so much. But, you know, those scenes with Monstro aren't aren't like Pleasure Island. They aren't like Strumpoli. They don't stay with you the way that no, they do. No, because they're, like, cartoonishly bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's right. just, like, it's yeah. so far beyond realistic. That it's just like, okay, that's that's a cartoon villain. Whereas the coachman specifically is one of those villains that you're like, hmm, that could be my neighbor. Right. Honest John being just like your stereotypical average con man. Right. He's kind of a mercenary. Like he's in it to get what he can get. You know that he's probably doing a shell game on a corner somewhere. Right. These are all characters that we know. As you grow up, you realize that they're real in a way. Right. And so I think that that's what kicks it over into being like a little too scary. And I think that it's probably a little much for the kids that now we would consider it age appropriate for. Right. Like Snow White, I don't know who the audience was when they first released this. I don't know if they thought that nine-year-olds would love it. Kids cartoons were becoming much more of a thing by 1940. So that was the year that Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny both debuted. Both of those also have a lot of, again, very cartoonish violence. And so, honestly, if the only bad guy in Pinocchio was the whale, I'd be like, yep, it's fine. Kids, watch it. Whatever. It's totally fine. Yeah. There is this kind of mistrust and this, like, kind of icky feeling that you feel when you see the coachman. And mm-hmm. you kind of know something's up with Honest John. It, for me, honestly, I just can't let my kid watch stuff that is so racist. You could, if you wanted, and I am I'm not a fan of censorship from an art perspective. I have a lot of things I could go on and on and on about it, but... The shot of Tobacco Row could just be taken out. And nothing changes. Nothing bad happens. They got cigars from somewhere. Right. There are cigars. They're encouraged to smoke. It's fine. It's part of a montage. You can just take that out. But you can't do anything about Stromboli. You can't do anything about, like, the poster where, and then Honest John is like, that old G word. Like, you just can't. You can't do anything about any of that. You have to be able to watch it at a point where you can sort of, okay, so historically, blah, blah, blah. And I think by that age, it's not interesting anymore either. Right. Because as much as I enjoyed it far, far more than Snow White, it's not like I came out of it being like, I could watch that again in a few months or in a nope. year or whatever. If I never watch it again, I'm probably fine. Music, we'll listen to again. Absolutely. The music is sure. great. The movie itself, probably not going to watch it again. Wouldn't encourage my friends to be like, yeah, you should show this to your kid. I mean, if the kid's curious, I guess you could watch it and talk about it. But But why? There are better movies to watch. Right. Unless you're watching it for the animation history and you want to know more about like the technology and how it was used. A plus example. It's very good for all of those things. Also, you can watch snippets of it. You watch the stuff where it's clearly done with a multi-plane camera. Right. Watch that sequence. Watch the realism of the cat. Watch mm-hmm. it for that. Maybe skip all the racist stuff. Because there's no, there's no spectacular animation happening with Stromboli. Take it in chunks and be like, blah, 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 blah. But then, yeah, you don't need to be showing that stuff to kids because they don't. It's honestly a deeper conversation than most children are ready for. And there's nuance that children's brains can't necessarily understand. And when you just say, well, it's complicated, but they're just like, I don't know, I don't care. There's stuff that they are unprepared for. There's stuff that they can't understand. And you can just say there's a better movie to watch and, and watch something else. And that's one of my things. I did two film degrees, so I spent seven years in film school. There are a lot of movies that they force you to watch in film school that I don't think that they should. Yeah. And that is, in some ways, a rant for another day. 
But one of the things that I go back to is that a lot of those movies that are so racist or so sexist or just terrible for one reason or another, that if you want to talk about their place in history, you can talk about it. If you want to talk about the innovations that they made, show those scenes. Because I took a class on editing where we never watched any full movie. There were no screening nights. Right. You were watching specific scenes and how these specific scenes were edited and talking about that. You can pull apart and tell the story of what you're trying to tell about the history or the importance. So it's funny because if I was sitting back and thinking about it, you know, if you're trying to talk to a kid about early animation and they're interested in early animation, as much as like Snow White is not as good a movie, it would be better to show kids. Right. And I I don't want to make the case at all that like you shouldn't talk about these really problematic things. I'm just saying there's an age appropriateness. The age of kid who might want to watch Pinocchio may not be ready for that conversation. Or they may take away the wrong message from that conversation. And so if you want to have that conversation, yes, you you should have that conversation. You got to know your audience and make sure your conversation is geared toward the child. You know, I always tell people when they'll ask me, like, is this movie appropriate for my kid? And I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah, like, you know your kid. I honestly don't. Because there is one child on this earth that I know well enough that I might be able to make a guess. Right. And that is my best friend's daughter. Most of the time, I'm like, you know your kid. You know what your kid is ready for. You know what conversations you and your kid are able to have. And there are better ways to tell these stories and teach these lessons than Pinocchio. That's my thing. There's just better stuff out there. There's a better resource than this 1940 Disney movie. I don't think that this is something where this movie is going to cause a child psychological harm. I don't think you're going to scar your kids for life with it. But I don't think it's worth the time either unless for some reason it was your favorite movie and they're asking about your favorite movie it's not though i can't think of who well and and if you are that person you're super tone deaf and you need to catch up and maybe you should watch it again yourself before you might have forgotten about stromboli there are a lot of things from your childhood that you that you remember really fondly that like you watch again and you're like bad "Hmm." idea terrible idea right i mean if adults want to watch it more power to you but go into it knowing that there's a lot of racism There are things like that that you'll probably pick up on as an adult that you might be like, oh, this is not what I remember it being. Yeah. But again, songs, still A+. A plus songs, the rest of the movie, nah. So speaking about songs. Right. Next, Fantasia. Yes. Which came out the same year. Bold move, did not pay off for the studio at all. And I'm kind of excited because I can't remember. I don't think I've really watched Fantasia the whole way through in one sitting in eons. I know that. There is so much classical music that the general audience only knows because of Fantasia. And so Mm -hmm. having been an orchestra kid, and I never saw Fantasia as a kid. Oh, really? I think I saw it in college, but I wouldn't swear to it. So I'm going to be coming to it pretty fresh. I will have no childhood nostalgia for it. But I'm pretty sure I know all that music forward and backward. (laughs) So I'm excited about that. I have a lot of fond memories of Fantasia, and I don't know why. I'm going to have to look up when the VHS came out to see if maybe that's why. Or if it's possible that it was something where they chopped up the bits and put it on Disney Channel, and I just caught all of the bits that way. So I remember, I have a lot of really fond childhood memories of it, like the hippos, the dancing hippos, and all of that. I don't know why. We'll find out. Revisiting the Vault is a nine-hour films production, and it's edited by Mary Ratliff. 
Our music is by Music Motion and Lynn Publishing. We are not affiliated with or authorized by The Walt Disney Company. You can find us on Twitter at RevisitTheVault, and you can find our website at RevisitingTheVault.com. If you want to support us, the best thing that you can do is to tell other people about the show and make sure you leave a review in whatever app you're using to listen. We've got some fun new stuff up on Patreon right now. I just announced last week that I'm going to be remastering and re-releasing every episode of my other podcast, Introductions Necessary, so you can get updates on that and everything else that we're working on, and also some patrons do get access to deleted scenes and outtakes from this podcast. So you want to head over to patreon.com slash nine hour films to get all the info and sign up there. We really appreciate all your support. We're going to be back in two weeks with the first part of our discussion of Fantasia, also from 1940. You should go ahead and subscribe in your podcast app so that you don't miss it. Thanks for listening.